The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have with me in the studio, Gene Archery. Gene is the founder and, yeah, a founder, financial wellness coach, entrepreneur, speaker, and author of Money Messages. She is a non-practicing certified financial planner. And Jean, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Louis. I'm excited to be here. Before we started our conversation, you shared with me how you ended up in financial planning. And if you're comfortable, I'd love for you to share that story with our audience. Absolutely. And, you know, I've heard so many, from so many different people that nobody ever, you know, back in our day, in any event, um, nobody really uh, decided to pursue financial planning as a career. And when I left school, I actually uh, wanted to become a psychologist and um, I didn't have money to study full-time. So I worked full-time and I studied part-time. And one of the first few jobs I had was in financial services. And somewhere along the way, I discovered that, you know, psychology and financial planning are very much related in the sense that, you know, your mindset, the way you behave around money has got a lot to do with whether you achieve financial wellness and financial success. And so it was only much later on in my career that I actually realized how the two were linked. So it wasn't a complete waste of studying. <laughs> That's so wonderful, that kind of first path around, you know, studying the human side. And so we've seen that in the last couple of years, a little bit of a shift into that space. Why do you think people find it so strange that psychology and finance were, were like always disconnected? Psychology, I think, looks a lot at the at the past, at your behavior, uh, more focused around emotional well-being and, um, you know, problems that may have stemmed from your childhood. But I think that, you know, now knowing what we know, um, we know that the past has a lot to do with how we behave in the future. Obviously, you know, your childhood experiences, your earliest memories, the role that your parents played, your siblings and other role models all have uh, an impact in terms of how you will behave going forward. I mean, my story is a typical one um, of, you know, where I was born into a wealthy home. And um, by the time I was eight, you know, my, 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 my dad ended up uh, abandoning us. And uh, in that process, my mom was forced to raise four kids on her own. 
And at the time she was a stay at home mom. So, you know, she didn't have the financial support or resources going forward. And that was one of the things that actually motivated me later on in life. But, you know, growing up in that experience, I questioned a lot about a, a lot of things, uh, my self-worth, you know, um, you had a lot of doubt, low, low self-esteem. Um, obviously, you know, having all your childhood dreams snatched away from you, having to transition into a, an environment where, they, where there was a lot of scarcity of money. Uh, and on top of it, not having a father around to help guide you and navigate you through this. Because I think in the process, we also lost my mom, sort of, because she had to now work two jobs at a time to be able to take care of us. Um, and so one of the reasons why I actually wanted to study psychology, and in particular, I was looking forward to practicing child psychology, was because of my own uh, emotional trauma. And I think, again, it was never a waste because I got to understand my own emotions a lot better in that process. Gina, it sounds like you, from a young age, you knew, hey, this is something I need to unpack and I need to incorporate in my life. Yet, as financial planners, it often feel like, we need to leave our personal stories at home. It sounds like you've embraced that with the work that you do. Have you managed to integrate the two? You know, and this is, a, it's a leading story, or, or I, I share the story quite uh, openly on um, social media platforms with my clients, uh, you know, when I'm hosting a webinar, because I think when you are more authentic um, and you're able, to res you're able to resonate with your audience and with your clients, People look at us and they think, you know, we we obviously are a lot more financially astute than what that, that what they might be. But they want to know that they, they want to be inspired. They want to know that there's hope. And I think when you share your money story with them, they get to realize and see you as a human. They get to realize and see that, you know, you've also been there. And, you know, if you can come out of that and you obviously are, and I think we are in the in the best position to be able to speak to our clients about this and to, and to help uplift them through that process. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, if I was born with, if I had had that silver spoon not taken out of my mouth, my journey might not, would have looked very different. And I might not have gotten to a point where I wanted to empower others around money matters because I don't want to see people go through what we went through. Um, and Louis, I mean, I've worked in this industry for over 20 years, so I know how many mistakes people make uh, because of a lack of financial education. And a lot of those mistakes could be prevented if they were or if they had access to the education. Um, so I'm on that mission to try and, and shift the way people think, feel and behave with money and give them the opportunity to actually improve their financial outcomes, and not only for themselves, but also for their loved ones. You make it sound so easy, but it takes vulnerability, <laughs> it takes courage to open up about these things. It's easy to say that once you've actually done it. Who in your life has supported you through this journey to, to make it a little bit easier? You know, it was a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm almost half a decade, uh, half a century old. <laughs> so, you know, there's been a lot of mistakes, a lot of lessons I've had to learn. Um, a lot of self-development and growth that I've, uh, I've needed to focus on, um, on my journey. And, you know, I've been fortunate that having a role model like my mom, um, well, she was such an inspiration. I mean, she raised four kids on her own. Um, and, you know, whilst we were never short of basics, um, we always had, she always found a way to, you know, spoil us on our birthdays and, you know, to be there for us and support us. And up till now, she's still doing that. 
Um, so, you know, to watch her go from place of, you know, and, and she was at a young age. I mean, she must have been in her early thirties when she was uh, also abandoned in this process. And, you know, her strength and, and courage um, has just motivated me completely. Um, and there's a lot of women out there that have been, um, you know, in great role models for their children, for other women. And, and you know, the other thing is when you see other women uh, and other people speaking their truth, it actually gives you permission to speak your own. That's so wonderful. And you phrase it so nicely. I'm I'm curious, what advice would you give to your mom, almost preparing her for, for what would come, that 30-year-old, that her husband might not be there anymore? Knowing what you know now, how would you help prepare her for that? I love that question. You know, my entire uh, Money Messages philosophy is built on Maya Angelou's quote, which is, when you know better, you do better. Um, and I think that it is so important that whatever lessons that we've learned along our parts or our journeys – um, those messages and stories need to be shared in order for or to enable other people to not make those same mistakes. And, you know, if I had to go back and tell my mom or give her advice, um, I, obviously I think the first thing I would have done is said to her, make sure that you're, you are financially protected so that if anything were to happen, that you have options. She never left her marriage. She, she was left. And the sad thing is that it had to come to that for her to be okay. But she never made the decision on her own. And I, I can imagine what a difficult situation it must have been because you've got four children under the age of 10. You've got no career, no income. How do you walk away from a relation, an abusive relationship on top of it without having options? And so I'm, I'm so grateful that that decision was made for her because I don't know what would have happened if it wasn't. Yeah. So I think for me, it would have been to, and my message to every woman out there is to make sure that they are protected financially, not only for themselves, but for their children as well. I had a conversation yesterday with a lady by the name of Felicity Guest, and she focuses on financial and economic abuse. And it really comes down to that power imbalance someone using money to control your outcome. And what she said is that it often is coupled with maybe elderly abuse or physical abuse. And just having more options creates that space where you don't have to tolerate the abuse. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, money buys us time. It buys us freedom. Uh, and it buys us flexibility to make those decisions. And even if you are a stay-at-home mom, there are it doesn't, it does not mean that you're not contributing towards the, the household, you know, that you're not contributing towards the financial upkeep of the household. And I always say this to my male clients. I mean, if you, or even female clients who say, Oh, well, I don't work. So I don't need to take out life cover as an example. Um, and I always say to them, you know, even if you're not working and earning an income, you're still contributing towards the financial upkeep of the household to remove you, your, your, your role out of that situation. And then what happens? If your husband is left to look after the children, he's now going to need to hire a nanny or an au pair, get transport service for the children to take them to school and pick them up and, and, and take care of them. So you are contributing financially to the upkeep of the household. When they see it from that perspective, then, you know, obviously then they feel that they are contributing some sort of value to the house. How do we change that cycle of value equals the amount of money that you bring to the relationship or to to the family? That's a 
yeah, I mean, I think that is a subjective, um, a subjective calculation. Um, and I think every family needs to basically probably sit down and, you know, decide what would happen in different scenarios. Um, so if the, if the mom had to go back to work or if she's planning on leaving work or, you know, when she falls pregnant, they need to, I, I guess, probably review what their financial costs are and, you know, what type of lifestyle they want to live. And I think that is an important part of that conversation because, you know, I think people generally spend more than what they earn. People aspire for, have different desires in terms of what they want to achieve from a, a lifestyle perspective. And obviously, a, there's different costs that attach to that. So it, 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 it just boils down to what works best for you and your family. Jean, can we talk a little bit about the financial wellness coaching part of your business? What would make someone be prompted to reach out to a financial wellness coach? So, Louis, and I think one of the reasons uh, why I embarked on this journey is because there are two types of people in, in our world. There are people that need advice and will seek advice. And there are people that need advice, but don't seek it. Um, and I think the, the market that I'm purely focused on currently is that market that doesn't feel or, or needs advice, but and doesn't, uh, is not able to, 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 to ask for it or to be able to pay for it. Um, and I think, you know, obviously from a financial planner, financial advisor perspective, and Obviously, I mean, there is a lot of changes happening in the industry at the moment whereby people and, you know, uh, are being remunerated not only for the products that they sell, but because financial planners and advisors are mostly uh, remunerated by selling products, there is an untapped market that cannot afford that advice. And so that is the market that I want to focus on and empower because they're the ones that are not accessing basic financial education. And even people that do have, um, you know, that are more educated or earning a higher income, um, I even see amongst that bracket uh, or that type of demographic is that there's still a lack of wanting to seek financial education or financial advice from an advisor or planner. Um, and so money messages, my financial education and wellness company, I don't sell or market or advise on any products, on any financial products. My role is to purely give education and to be able to help people get out of their situations, improve their financial outcomes, um, set goals, budget better. So there's a whole lot of things that we, we look at in terms of helping them to overcome those challenges. I love the fact that you have managed to create a business and a career through something that maybe doesn't require a financial services provider license. Knowing that most of the people listening to this would think, you know, you need to follow this process. And if you want to give advice, it has to entail a product. How do you bridge that gap when someone says, well, actually, maybe I do need advice. Do you purely then refer them out to an advisor that can assist with the products? Yeah. And, you know, I've been approached by quite a few companies to, um, become an affiliate, uh, of or provider. And I'm very reluctant to go down that route because I feel I don't want to, I don't want to dissolve my, my, um, um, my, my proposition. I don't want to dilute my proposition. 
And so um, I do say to, to my clients, if you are looking for financial advice, um, you can contact your bank, you can contact a financial advisor yourself, or if you have to, if you really need to, then I am able to refer you to some strategic partners that, that I do work with. So this is very much a symbiotic relationship where it almost sounds like financial advisors should be sending their clients to this process first and then saying, well, come to me when you need the product implementation, but go, go and fix some of those kind of root causes, the, the money stories and the money things, money messages, I guess, that are, that are derailing your financial plans. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I mean, I studied my, my, my postgraduate in financial planning. So, you know, and I did it quite a few years ago, probably two decades ago. Um, but when I did it, I mean, we didn't really focus on the behavioral elements, um, and the emotional relationship with money. And so a lot of these people are in a situation where they're spending more than what they earn. They don't have resources to invest. Um, and so what they do need is to free up those, um, uh, free up their debt, um, you know, reduce the expenses, manage the income accordingly, and then start setting those goals. So definitely, I mean, there is a, there is a, um, there is a gap in the market in terms of, you know, educating those clients and getting them to a point where they are now financially stable. They, they do have surplus cash. Uh, that they are able to invest and then they can go back to the advisor. How does this engagement typically look like? Is it a one session? Is it multiple sessions? I can tell us a little bit more about what, what someone can expect that would go through this journey with you. So, and again, it depends on the client's budget. It depends on their needs. It depends on what their goals are and the challenges um, that they are uh, looking to overcome. And the initial conversation is around, you know, what they what their immediate challenges are. Um, and then we put a plan together in place for them to actually overcome those challenges. So the relationship can last for, it could be oneself, it could be, it's generally never oneself, but I mean, um, it could be two or three sessions. It could be ongoing. It could be, you know, it could take years. I mean, financial wellness, we know is not a once off event. It requires ongoing and constant engagement and practice and effort. Um, and so I always say to my clients that, you know, um, depending on how quickly they want to see those results. I mean, the coaching obviously gives the most effective changes. The most, you, you see the, the shifts, you know, in a relatively short space of time. I also created an online component where people can go and complete courses online by themselves. And again, you know, I wanted to make sure that I deliver um, various um, solutions and formats for people, irrespective of their earnings and um, their needs and their challenges. So there's, they, they can choose which, which option is going to work for them best. What would good financial wellness look like? You know, if, we, if we're looking at a typical client what would you strive towards to say, well, you have now attained a fair or a good financial well-being? And financial wellness for me is a, it's a, it's a level or state that we reach when we are in total control of our financial situations. And I think, again, that is something that is very subjective, um, which is what I've also included in my program. And, you know, when, I, when we look at you as an example, you're married, you've got a kid. I'm divorced with a kid. Um, everybody's situation is different. Everyone's money story is different. And so we need to take that into consideration. And so when I looked at creating this online program, and I think it's morphed a few times, but when I looked at creating this program, I, I, I tried to understand 
how would I help individuals based on their personal circumstances? And so I've created a whole lot of tools and workbooks and other resources that they can use to identify what their personal situation looks like, and then to basically almost cherry pick solutions that would be appropriate and relevant according to their personal circumstances. And I think that in, in, in that sense, we can then start to look at what does financial wellness mean for that person and create a solution that basically resonates with them, that appeals to them, and that they are able to implement in their solution. I always give this as an example um, because I've been struggling on my weight loss journey. And I always say that, you know, if I wanted to lose weight as an example, I and somebody gives me an eating plan, I can go and, or I find one off the internet, I can go and follow that eating plan, but the chances of me sticking to it is going to be very slim. And the reason for that is because I haven't really sat down and, and discussed with an expert to say, okay, what, what do you like to eat or what uh, can't you eat or, you know, what, what, what is your uh, physical issues that might be impacting your weight loss? And until I've actually understood what that is, only then can I customize a solution that is relevant for me. So if I'm someone that doesn't eat beef and I pull an eating plan off um, that includes beef, that, that plan is not going to work for me because it hasn't taken into account my personal circumstances. Um, and so, you know, the most effective way is to obviously sit down with someone, understand that fully. And if you don't have access to somebody who, who you can sit down with, then try and find the resources that will able, that you, where you will be able to create that healthy eating plan. And financial wellness is exactly the same. I mean, obviously coaching, as I said, has the biggest shifts. But if people can't afford coaching, there should be other options available to them. I thought this was just another journey to engage with a financial professional, you know, and probably even a safer journey, one where someone doesn't expect to receive a financial product. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've worked in this industry for so long. We know how it has become just uh, riddled with distrust. Um, and I don't think, you know, it's sad because, I mean, I think there's some great financial advisors and financial planners out there that genuinely care about their clients and that are able to give that level of education and advice to them. Um, but yeah, I think definitely, I mean, there's, it, it removes that element of uh, wanting to sell something to you because I think, you know, and that's why I never punt products and I never even, I won't even go out and say I, I, I can recommend people to you unless it is asked of me. Can you share a little bit of your journey in terms of creating this business, moving from your previous career into this? Because that, that can be very scary, setting up a new business, essentially in a field where you, you're creating your own, your own products and something that's maybe not that common out there. So I had uh, my own financial education business uh, back in 2010 and um, I was going through a divorce around 2012. So I realized I needed stable income and I went back into corporate. And I'm glad I actually did that because I learned so much on that journey of that 10 years that uh, I worked, that um, I really got to understand a lot about behavioral economics and behavioral finance. And, but it's always been that, a passion. It's always been something that's been burning inside me and it's something I couldn't let go. Um, and in that 10 years, I actually authored two stories that teaches kids about money uh, in my attempts to educate my own daughter. And I think that was an opportunity for me to be able to still live my passion whilst earning an income. And about 
two, a year before COVID hit, I uh, came up with the idea of creating an online financial education program. And I started focusing uh, on building that in my spare time every single weekend went into building the content because I said to myself, if I want to make this work, if I'm going to make this work, then I need to be able to hit the road running as soon as I, as I exit corporate. Um, and, Cause I need to be financially well, if I'm going to talk about financial wellness. And so the scariest thing for me was as a single mom uh, walking away from a secure income. And so I built the content and I was meant to have left in March, 2020, uh, end of March, 2020. And um, COVID happened and people started losing their jobs, their businesses, people were being retrenched, um, you know, and I just thought to myself, how do I now walk away from a secure income? And, you know, I started to, um, in fact, actually two things that actually happened in that, in that journey. One, I, I needed to, because I was going to pitch my proposition to corporates for their employees. And when COVID happened, I thought, okay, well, in, companies are not going to want to spend on financial wellness now. They might want to spend their, their, their CSI and they, whatever uh, funds they have in the employee uh, wellness programs on focusing on emotional health and COVID and getting people through COVID. And so that's when I started to adapt my business model to speak to individuals as well. So my program is not only available to employees, it's available to individuals as well if they want to, you know, if they want to subscribe to the platform. And I also started to include um, content for everybody in the household. So not just the working adult for the, Children, their teenage children, their young adults, even their domestic staff. There's content available for everybody. Um, so that was the one thing that happened out of that one year delay. But the other thing that happened was my personal journey was my fear kicked in. Now, remember, I went from abundance to scarcity. And so for me, my emotional connection and relationship with money has been quite a challenging one because I've always been scared. I've always questioned my ability, my self-doubt, my self-worth. And so my mindset needed a lot of fixing. Um, and in that one year, I had to work a lot on myself. So I did a lot of online courses, a lot of um, reading, uh, a lot of work on my own mental mind frame. And that was an essential part of this journey because a lot of my content now includes uh, not only the IQ side of managing money, but also unpacking and understanding uh, our emotional relationship with money, which has got to do a lot uh, with our thoughts, beliefs, and behavior around money. That's such a powerful story. And it's something that mm-hmm. comes up so often that we need to do the work first. You know, we need to put in the hours to understand not just our own financial health, but also our emotional health relating to money. How much of this should we be discussing with a therapist? You know, it feels like there should be some kind of supervisory or supervisor role for financial planners just so that we can start having these discussions or is it suitable to have them with a coach? I, so that's a tough one. And again, I guess, again, I think, um, you know, there's, there's different therapists, there's different coaches and they all play different roles. And, you know, obviously financial wellness, I focus specifically on your financial goals. Um, obviously that is linked to life goals as well. So, you know, if you, um, start your own business, um, that's a life goal that you have. There's financial implications to it. Um, any goal that you want or that you have in life has a financial implication to it. Even if you want to, 
um, you know, leave work and, and do charity work, you still need to be able to fund your expenses. So there's, there's always that financial implication. And I think a financial wellness coach will focus specifically on how do you get from where you are to where you want to be. Um, so I think there's a place for all types of coaches, all types of therapists. It, it just depends on what the client or the coachee is looking for. Uh, what are the immediate goals? Um, you know, and trying to find the right resources that can help them to sh- help shift them from where they, where they are to where they want to be. Would I then be right to say that the coaching would be more forward looking? It's like, okay, this is what we want to achieve where maybe therapy is looking backwards and unpacking what happened and kind of reframing that. So I do look a little bit at the past as well. Um, because again, of my own personal journey, I find, and I know that psychology is very, uh, is, it looks at the past and coaching looks at, at you know, the future. But I think where, um, the, the, the differentiator comes in terms of, uh, the work that I do, especially when it's unpacking your emotional relationship with money is to identify what those earliest childhood memories of money is. Um, if you are constantly hearing from your parents that money doesn't grow on trees, that does impact your behavior going forward in the future. And so we do need to work somewhat on overcoming those challenges. And it goes back to actually understanding what those earliest childhood memories of money is, what what beliefs were imprinted in in your brain, um, because that plays a huge role in terms of how you view the future. Can we stick with that a little bit? So you mentioned there these kind of, I think we call them money scripts, what Adults would say money doesn't grow on trees. So now let's assume that was my parents and I'm one of your coaches. How would you help me unpack and change that thinking? Or is it just the awareness alone that's sufficient? Um, I think awareness is the first step. Um, and truly, and there's different techniques we can use to actually figure out how. So I've got some very nice exercises that I've come across that help people to unpack and identify what those um, negative beliefs are. And once we've done that, we then start looking at how do we overcome them. And again, some of the techniques that we use is around reframing and uh, reframing certain concepts, certain terminology, words that are used. Um, obviously, it requires a lot of effort and practice using affirmations uh, to reprogram the brain. Um, so there's a whole lot of techniques that do actually work. But, it, it, you know, and again, people ask me, but how long do I need to be doing this for? And I always say to them, well, look, when you were a kid, you constantly heard this. So you've been living with these thoughts and beliefs for 30 years. It's not going to just happen overnight. But, you know, we, there's, there's research that has been done that, is, that says that, you know, it takes 21 days to change a habit. In some instances, it might take longer. I think until you start believing it um, and seeing the changes for yourself, that's when you know that it's actually worked and you've overcome it. Yeah, that's a difficult to, thing to change, not just the habits, but your beliefs, you know, what might be true to you, um, especially if you've, you've heard it all your life. I'm really curious, what are, the, what are the clients saying that this has done, like where this has worked well? Like what's the type of feedback that you're getting? How, how have you changed their lives or how have you helped them? Louis, and before we get to that, can I just add, you know, when we are born and you've got a newborn, so you should know this as well. But when we are born, we are only born with two fears. And those two fears are as a sound of loud noises and the fear of falling. All our other fears have been learned. And so all those fears can be unlearned. But again, it requires effort and practice. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've only been doing this for, well, I left my corporate job in April last year. 
uh, it's been an amazing journey. Um, it's uh, my business is still very young, so I've only been in it for just over a year. I've partnered with a university, um, who you know, um, uh, educating the employees um, every month, and so I've had some coaching uh, um, clients from them as well as through a few other corporates that I've been working with. Um, and the, the 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 shifts have been unbelievable. I mean, honestly, and it's as I said, it's a it's a journey, it's a process. I'll give you an example. I coached actually my own domestic work, worker through the program, and before I took her on this journey, she wasn't saving any. She wasn't saving for old age, and she wasn't saving for emergencies. And when I created the program, I tested it on her, and I took her through it. And you know, her her her. Her response to me when I asked her if she's saving is that, no, she's not saving her daughter will take care of her. And when I, when we had completed the program at the end of that conversation, and she was very fortunate to be able to do this, but I said to her that generally people put away at least 15% of their salaries towards their old age. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll save 20%. So I was blown away when she said this 20%, but you know, the impact for me is, or the reward that I got out of that is I've not only changed her life, but I've changed her daughter's life as well. And I think, you know, 10, people might not see it right now, but in 10 years and 15 and 20 years from now, they will actually see the value of the whole coaching experience. That's such a wonderful story and the fruits that you'll see from that. How do you navigate the cultural and language barriers when working maybe with employees um, from corporates? Because you'll it'll span all walks of life. Yeah, so you know the that's always a challenge, um, and I'm hoping at some point to start translating a lot of my content content into other official languages. Uh, but for now, unfortunately, we you know we we have a, we are limited to English. Um, I am also looking at developing additional tools that will make it easier for people to engage with the platform. Uh, but for now, everything is in English. I'm trying to, so there's, so if people go through the program, the online program, there's videos explaining, um, what they need to do in each section. There's workbooks they can download. They, you know, there's a whole lot of resources that they can use in there. But I've tried to keep it as simple as possible to make sure that, you know, there's different content available for different people. With domestic workers as an example, there's a course in my program that speaks to specifically to domestic workers. And uh, I always say to employers, you know, use this platform. I mean, it doesn't mean you must just pay for the course and get them to do it. It's an hour, two hours of your time. All you have to do is sit with them and guide them through the process and help them through their journey. And then, you know, it, 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 it helps make it a lot easier for them. This is wonderful. I mean, how do we get this into into schools where we can start including learners at a young age to kind of become more financially aware? That has been a constant um, battle to get into uh Department of Education. Um, I've also authored these two books that teaches kids about money. And so I've been trying to work with nonprofits or try to get funding for uh, getting the books into schools, especially for underprivileged kids, because I think financial education should be a basic right for everyone, irrespective of whether you have access to financial resources or not. Um, so that is a mission that um, I'm also trying to pursue. I've also created a teen program that teaches uh, teenagers about money. And um, again, also at the moment, I'm having conversations with a few schools to try and see if we can get the program into schools. But I mean, the program is available to parents as well. 
the month, the, 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 the online courses are not expensive at all. I've tried to make it as affordable as I possibly could. People can subscribe per household for 99 Rand per month. They can stop the program at any time. They're not tied in for any specific period of time. So if they feel that they're not getting any value out of it, they can exit. Um, but they have access to the entire platform for them and their families. Um, and I think that's pretty affordable for a lot of households. This is wonderful. And you're really making a difference in those people's lives. The the Netflix of financial education. That is exactly the concept I was going for when I pitched it at 1999, just because of Netflix. <laughs> And and this is probably going to make a much bigger impact in your life than watching another episode of Stranger Things. But Absolutely. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, if people want to reach out and volunteer and help kind of spread this message, what's the, what's the best way to get hold of you? I'm always looking for ambassadors. So if there's financial advisors and financial planners out there uh, that, you know, want to take this proposition out to their uh, to their clients, uh, they're more than welcome to contact me. My email is info at moneymessages.co.za. Uh, my website is, is money, moneymessages.co.za. I'm available on LinkedIn. I've got a business page on LinkedIn. I've got a business page on Facebook. I've even started a group for parents who want to raise money smart kids on Facebook. So yeah, they can reach out to me on any of those platforms. I want to add one last thing that people should get their tickets for Humans Under Management because we'll be sharing the stage at the Cape Town version of Humans Under Management. And I think we're in for a treat if we just listen to today's conversation. Thank you so much for being I'm here. I'm so excited about, um, about, about that. And I look forward to meeting you in person, Louis, and getting to engage more with uh, financial planners in the community. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.